morning, everybody. Welcome into 104.3 The Fans Coffee Break. Rachel V. Hill hanging with you. You're just going to have me for the next 30 minutes today. No, I'm totally kidding. We have Jay Williams on the show who's talking nuggets with us. James Merrillat's going to be joining us, too, for the immediate reaction of the Broncos pre-draft presser that is going on right now, too. So it's going to be a fun show. It's a Friday. We hope you all had a wonderful week and are looking forward to the weekend. Um, let's get into Jay joining us, though, here in just a quick second. Again, as the Nuggets fall last night, in game three to the Warriors, a heartbreaker loss, but the team looked a lot better. Michael Malone getting a little bit of harsh comments, I guess we could say, on social media, saying that he's proud of this group. That's something Jay and I will talk about. And again, just the high expectations that the Nuggets will have for next season. Take a listen. Welcome in to Hoops Weekly with Jay Williams presented by Elite Sportsbook. Jay, this could possibly be our last time talking together this season. Makes me sad. Makes me sad as well, Rachel. I I, I have to tell you, I do think it's going to be our last time. Yep. But I hope, I hope for Nikola Jokic's sake, it's not our last time. Oh, my goodness. Okay, let's obviously just get into this. Would you have ever predicted this to be the outcome out of three games so far? Yes. Yes. Um, I think that <laughs> the Denver Nuggets have a chance to be a really special team. But unfortunately, they're running up against a team that has championship pedigree. They have an emerging player in Jordan Poole, who Draymond Green last night said has been their number one option on a team with Steph Curry the only unanimous MVP coming off the bench rotationally going against the second unit for Michael Malone. So I, yes, I, 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 but I thought that Denver would win a game and here's why I walked away last night being a little bit frustrated late at night, then going into my morning show and hear me on this one, Rachel. So I think there've only been 12 people in the history of the NBA to have won the MVP back-to-back, only mm-hmm. 12. And are these expectations unfair? Yes. But when I look at the stat line and I see, you know, 37, 18, whatever numbers are, they're prolific numbers, right? If you didn't watch the game, you would just say, man, like, what else can Jokic do? But, like, sometimes it feels like for an MVP player, you have to have MVP moments down the stretch in games, Rachel. And the turnover to Aaron Gordon, like the laziness on the lob pass, Draymond Green ripping you, getting that steal down the stretch, the offensive rebound by Andrew Wiggins. I'm not saying that's Jokic's fault, but still for the team. It it, it does feel like these are things that people will use against Jokic. And they are unfair, but I have unrealistic expectations for LeBron James. I have unrealistic expectations for Kevin Durant. I have unrealistic expectations for Stephen Curry. So I, I know that Denver fans, and I've been one of them, have been saying we don't get enough attention. People always overlook the season that Jokic is getting. Okay, now you got your attention. Now you got all the eyeballs on you. So this is what comes with all the attention. It comes with your MVP not allowing a team to sweep you because now the narrative is starting to become in the national media. What other MVP in the history of the NBA has gotten swept twice in the first round of NBA playoffs. And that's the narrative that I don't want. And I want Jokic to put this team on his back, even though he's already done it, in a very unfair, unrealistic way, way, Rachel. 
and get them one win. Get them one win so it turns into a gentleman's sweep. It's not back-to-back first-round sweeps. I, I don't want that for Jokic. I don't. Nor for me. Because I'm going to take the heat every day from people that told you. I told you he's not my MVP. I hate it. I hate it. Jay, you're preaching to the choir. I have been saying, and this is not a shot at Jokic, okay? Truthfully, I don't say this in a bad way, but he just doesn't show up in the big games. He puts up unrealistic numbers, but he just doesn't show up the way he does in other games. And everyone's like, no, Jokic is going to be fine. Like, he's going to do this. He's going to carry the team. And he puts up incredible numbers, not taking away anything. Again, if you just looked at the box score, you would be like, yeah, he did great. Like, what else could he have possibly done? But he's not there like he is in some of the other games when it comes to the big games. And everyone was giving me crap for it. So, Rachel, this is what it comes down to. And I, I, I'm going to be the first person to go on record and say this. Jokic is a unique talent, like the eighth wonder of the world, right? Jamal Murray is that dude for your team. It's not Jokic. Because when it's all said and done, you know the person that takes the team over the hump? It's Jamal Murray. You know the person that wants the ball when it matters the most? It's Jamal Murray. You know the person that can make the play when you need a play down the stretch? It's almost like Jimmy Butler. People say, well, Jimmy Butler's not 1A. And I'm like, but Jimmy Butler is 1A and 1A moments when you need him to be. And that's who Jamal Murray is. So, look, it doesn't take it doesn't take the, uh, the power away from Jokic because Jokic is still a max player. Jokic is still a special, 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 unique talent. But down the stretch, when you need him to have a big moment, that's Jamal Murray. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, 100%. Now that you say that, I'm like, yeah. I mean, think back to the bubble. It was Jamal Murray. We weren't talking about Jokic the way we've talked about in the past two seasons. It was all about Murray. And I have to tell you, Rachel, like, I'll be curious to get your opinion on this because you watch this team as much as I do, probably more. I think there's a part of Michael Malone that really does believe what he said last night about how proud he is of this team, that the way they scrap, the way they claw, the way they, you know, look, Jokic got ejected in the game too, right? Like it kind of felt like they quit. They had that, you know, the issue between DeMarcus Cousins and Will Barring on the sideline, the fight, all that stuff. But there's also a part of him that's like, we've been in these games. Mm-hmm. Like, so that's something for like Nuggets fans to think about. Like you're in like, – you should have won the game last night. For as much as we talk about the firepower, like it comes down to the devil was in the details. And are they overpowered or the outman? 1,000%. But damn, like, let's get these details down because if these details were held correctly, you win that game. I know that's not crazy. This is what I said last night, too. We were doing our post-game, like, wrap-up. And I said, the Nuggets lost the game because they tried too hard to go for the big shots that were going to be, like, the crowd-screaming shots and not just driving for the basket. And you would still have gotten screams. They were going on runs, and then all of a sudden, they're starting to shoot threes and missing all of them. I'm like, that's not working. So why are we doing that when we can drive to the baskets and you've been making those in the paint? It, It just didn't make any sense to me. Some of, like... The decisions they made, it showed some of the immaturity to me. Well, I mean, and look, I think when you start looking around the Western Conference, like, you know what Golden State's going to be. Yeah. Uh, we'll see how much longer CP3 can play the game at a high level. Um, you know, their teams, you will see what the Lakers are able to do. The Pelicans with CJ McCollum, Brandon Ingram, Zion Williamson, when he comes back, they're going to have high expectations. Memphis. They're not going anywhere. John Morant is a superstar. So 
you start looking at this thing, you're, it, it kind of, it, 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 there's a lot of pressure on certain teams when they get there, right? And next year, you're automatically saying now, how long can Denver fans wait? Mm-hmm. So Jamal Murray, Michael Porter Jr., Nikola Jokic, back-to-back MVPs, we get exactly what we want, the expectation of championship or bust. So I'm trying to tell Nugget fans, even though you may get swept, I hope you don't. hope Jokic gets one. Just know that this summer, that whole energy is about to shift. And there's going to be a lot of eyeballs on the expectations around the Denver Nuggets and what they're supposed to do, which is win a world championship in a conference that is pretty much loaded. It's so hard. It's such a tough conference. I mean, even if you just looked at the playoffs, like even if the Nuggets were somehow to advance, you look at the teams that they would play in the upcoming rounds and you're like, holy smokes, like, can they keep this up without completely exhausting themselves? And Jokic is already exhausted. But I have a question about the Warriors, actually. If they make it to the conference finals, can they win it all? I mean, look, you have the unanimous MVP coming off the bench. <laughs> like, you have Jordan Poole, who I watched at Michigan, who is a prolific scorer. You know, Draymond Green, I mean, their lineup, when they go small, is so hard to guard because they can space the floor. Mm-hmm. Like, they, they are, I mean, they're the odds favorite to win it all. Yeah. And it, it's really funny. Like, you think about this dynamic, like, oh, can Steph do it without Kevin Durant? Like, the rest of the league has caught up to the Golden State Warriors. And, and I'm sitting there looking at the rest of the field saying, oh, has the rest of the field caught up to the Warriors? I, I I don't know. I don't think so. So, I mean, we, we may be talking in another month and a half, and I will come back on. We should do one more of these or a couple of more about, like, how like Denver is going to have to start making some legitimate moves. And Michael Porter, I know he's got a contract, a good extension. But, like, Michael Porter, who are you? Are you going to be the guy that's going to help this team get over the hump? Aaron Gordon, who are you? You got that four-year, $90 million deal? Like, who is this team? Because the rest of the league is coming fast. Mm-hmm. No, absolutely. We will definitely, especially this summer, have to reconnect and see the moves that will happen in the off offseason. Uh, one last question for you. I'm getting some hate. My tweets last night made it over to Warrior side of Twitter, and I'm just getting all sorts of stuff this morning when I woke up. So I want you to tell me, who's the most toxic fan base that you've ever dealt with, Jay? The most toxic fan base I've ever dealt with. Probably North Carolina fans on the collegiate level. I will say toxicity on the NBA level. Hmm. I mean, Miami Heat fans hate me. You know what's <laughs> funny? My nephew and my, I'm the only child, but my best friend since I've been 13 years old, his mm-hmm. son, they both live down in, in South Florida and they are the biggest Miami Heat fans. And we've always had this little rival and Nick Harrison, the owner of the team, CEO, uh, was one of our managers on Duke basketball, so I joke with him all the time. And for some reason, when I watched him play this year, I didn't believe it. Like, there's still a part of me that's kind of like, like, all right, Tyler Hero, okay, you know, P.J. Tucker, Bam Adebayo. Like, they're missing a super, superstar. But I found myself putting my foot in my mouth about how I did Jimmy Butler. And, and now I'm like, all right, he's a closer down the stretch. So probably the Miami Heat fans hate me more than any other fan base. So I get a lot of um, threats from them. Let's, let's keep it at that.
I just take it as a compliment that you're doing your job well and you're putting out some interesting takes if they're going to come at you. I mean, I, I get interesting things every day, Rachel, right? So I get it. I've called Steph Curry the most innovative, ever revolutionizing player the game has ever seen. Yeah, I would agree with that. But if I'm critical of Steph, you're a hater. You always hate. I'm like, you guys, you know what? I can't win. So I'm going to be unapologetically me. And if you don't like it, you don't have to listen. Turn your TV off. So yep. trust me. And you're going to get bigger and bigger. And people will hate your takes more and more. But it's how you feel. Stay true to how you feel. Oh, absolutely. Jay, as always, I love our conversations. Like I said, I hope this isn't our last one. But if it is, we will definitely reconnect this summer and talk some off-season hoops. That sound good? You got it. Whatever you need, I'm here. Awesome. Thanks, Jay. All right. Thanks, everybody, for tuning in to Hoops Weekly with Jay Williams, powered by Elite Sportsbook. Let's head back to coffee break. All right. Love my conversations with Jay. It's always such a joy to have him and the takes that he has as well. Now we'll welcome in James Merrillat because the Broncos pre-draft presser just wrapped up. So we've got some stuff to talk about on the Broncos end. James, how are you? I'm good, Rachel. Actually, I really enjoyed that interview with Jay. And he, I know we're going to talk Broncos, but I think he hits the nail on the head of, you know, everybody looks at this Nuggets team and says, oh, wait till next year, wait till next year. And they kind of forget that everybody else isn't going to stay stagnant, right? They're going to keep improving, and the Western Conference gets better and better and better. So uh, just having, you know, MPJ and Jamal Murray come back next year, one, doesn't fix everything. But two, as he said, expectations are now going to be up here, right? Like now you need to be a title contender. That all, you know, officially begins, I think, on Sunday at about 4.30 in the afternoon when they get swept. So uh, Jay hit the nail on the head. That was a great interview embarrassing for the Nuggets and I think too also to that point of the expectations being super high the pressure is on Jamal Murray more than ever now it's not really on MPJ I don't think I think people aren't really sure about what he's going to bring to the table 100% because we haven't really seen any of those big moments like we've seen with Jamal but the pressure is on Jamal if this team cannot be a title contender it's going to be bad James I'm I think Jamal is going to get a lot of hate well pressure's on everybody other than maybe Jokic, right? Like, I think everybody will look at Jokic and say, hey, good job carrying this team for an entire season with very little help. But the pressure's on Jamal. The pressure's on Mike Malone. The pressure's on Tim Connolly of, hey, you gave these guys max contracts ahead of when they probably deserved them. Now that needs to be a gamble that pays off. Uh, the pressure's on him to get uh, Jokic to sign that super max and stay. Like, everybody suddenly is under pressure. So, they're going to go from one extreme to the other. I love to use the Teflon moniker, right? And that's the the name I give people when, hey, if you win, you get praise. If you lose, nobody's critical of you. Mm-hmm. They're on this side of the spectrum. It's going to go like this of now all of a sudden there's unbelievable pressure and everybody's watching every single game and, and, and charting, hey, well, why is this team lost a couple in a row? Why is this team currently the four seed? All those kind of things. So dial up the pressure. Here we go for the Nuggets next year. That's for sure. Yeah, no kidding. It'll be a lot like the avalanche this year where if you don't win, it's a disappointment of a season. But let's get into some Broncos. The pre-draft presser just wrapped up. Nathaniel Hackett was supposed to talk, but I guess he was having a little bit too much fun at the Nuggets games last night. He didn't make it. So GM assistant uh, Darren Moogley was there with George Payton today. I hope I pronounced his last name right. Uh, Fingers crossed on that one. But James, did you have a chance to listen? And what was your biggest takeaway from the presser? Yeah, I caught it. And, you know, it was a lot of uh, 
talking about how that's the collaborative time of the year and this is the fun part of it. And, you know, you're putting your board together and a couple of things kind of stood out. One, I mean, they get input from everybody. They're talking about how it's not just the scouts. It's not just the coaches. It's not just the GM. It's the interns. And like, do I really think the interns are providing a lot of feedback? No, but I think they were saying that to make the point of, we don't care who you are. If you're involved in the process, we want to hear your opinion and we're going to, we're going to put it into the mix. So I thought that was good. And I also think you kind of got an insight into sort of how George Payton works. He's a guy that loves the, you know, the, the second and third day of the draft and kind of the roster building part of it. And now that he doesn't have to focus and spend so much time on what am I doing with that top 10 pick, which he said he was glad he didn't have, right. The fact that they got Russell Wilson and, don't have number nine and don't have number 40 or 41, whatever it was, total relief. And it was like a celebration for that. Now he can do the things he really likes and that's fine, that depth. So uh, I I thought that part of it was interesting. They still have nine picks. They still have a a lot of work to do. They have some positions they need to address, edge rusher, inside linebacker, right tackle, backup running back. Um, So it will be be fascinating. Maybe Thursday is not going to be as interesting in Broncos country, but Friday and Saturday certainly will be. Absolutely. And we actually have a special guest. Cecil was at the presser and he is now joining us here on Coffee Break. So we'll bring him in. Cecil, thanks for joining. Yeah, I hope my internet's good enough out here in the parking lot at UCL Training Center. But this was a great, my favorite press conference of the year. I sweated it out, waiting for my question so I could get it in. And I did about modern day inside linebackers, which I think the Broncos will be looking at and may be willing to move up in the second round. Such fascinating angles from George Payton. Such insight, thorough answers when he talked about this being a double class. It really is. And that's why you've heard me, James, Sandy's talked about it. The picks from 64 to 120 are the meat of this class. There's going to be guys there that wouldn't be available there in a normal year. But because of the COVID season, There were a lot of players that chose to take that fifth year, that extra year, sometimes a sixth year of eligibility so they could play college football and kind of help their draft stock. Well, now now there's this funnel. Everybody's coming into the draft at one time. So having those picks there, I know maybe it's not as sexy for everybody because they don't have a first round pick, but I'm telling you, this is a backbone draft. This is a cornerstone draft. You're not going to get that elite level talent in the second round but you're going to get really solid starters and when it comes to edge rushers when it comes to corners when it comes to offensive tackle those are the spots in this class which the broncos need by the way that are very strong yeah i heard george payton say that the edge class was really strong as long or as well as the wide receiver class and obviously they really don't need any wide receivers so who do you anticipate them trying to get maybe at the edge position Yeah, at the edge position, I'd look at a couple of different options now. And I can go all the way to the fourth round if we're talking about edge players. And I wrote about it at denverfan.com, Nick Benito from OU. He's going to be around 64. Now, if you have to move up to 60, 59, something like that, I, you know, that's well within their range. It's they're willing to do it. They've got nine picks. They don't have, they have four picks next year, but Nick Benito would be one of the first players that I target. He's got some Shaq Barrett to his game. Certainly has great first you know, step anticipation, snap anticipation, first step quickness, that burst to close to the quarterback, all these things with the Benito's game, but I can still go to the third and fourth round. I can get you a guy like Majai Sanders 
from Cincinnati who's got length, who has who's more of a modern day. Benito's more of a old school. You don't see many 240-pound pass rushers. I know Randy Gregory is, but he's, you know, they're kind of getting rare these days. Most pass rushers are built like you see Majai Sanders, Camp Thomas, the kid from San Diego State. I think people need to have their radar up about him. But you're talking about, you know, 6'3, 6'5, 270, length, strength, burst from around the corner. I think these are the type of edge players. And so I've insisted the Broncos don't need one. They need two. And not just because of Bradley Chubb, because you can never have enough pass rushers and to present some sort of NASCAR package like the Giants did when they beat the undefeated Patriots in the Super Bowl 42, like the Broncos did when they beat up on the number one offense. Carolina smoked everybody till they met Denver in Super Bowl 50. So having more pass rushers, always a good thing. Cecil, I uh, I didn't catch the end of the press conference or the second half of it, so I missed your question. What was the answer? What did you get about the modern day inside linebacker? Yeah, number one instincts. Now I presented it to George Payton in a way that he could answer or he could not about Chad Muma, because I asked both him and Darren Muji, like, "Hey, what's your what are you looking for in a modern inside linebacker?" Because I was at Wyoming's Pro Day. It was kind of a, you know, a little weird flex, bro, but whatever, you know, like it's what I do. Uh, so I said, I was at Wyoming's Pro Day. I talked to Logan Wilson and he said, Chad Moom is a faster version of him. What do you think about that comparison? And what are you looking for? They didn't talk about Chad Muma. Why? They like Chad Muma. He's been in here for one of those top 30 visits. Wouldn't be surprising to me if the Broncos, you know, have him on one of those 10 picks George Payton talked about there's 10 players at 64 that are looking at who is that 10. I guarantee you that Chad Muma is on that list. So number one is it reminds me, uh, you know, you'll remember James Jack Del Rio when he was flying around the field as an inside linebacker. That's great. He can't cover, you know, your Zach Thomas's whatever, like that linebacker's done. Those guys, those two down guys, they just don't exist anymore. You know, the, the Broncos have been dealing with that since Danny Trevathan left. They've been dealing with two down guys. They need a true three down inside linebacker. And I think that's where a guy like Chad Muma from Wyoming uh, and also local product here from Colorado from high school, I, I think he would fit. Okay, this is a question for both of you. And James, this is because I know we've had these talk plenty of times on Halftime Chill, but they said that they need a dynamic returner. That's something that this team desperately needs. How likely are they to get that out of this draft class? And see, so we can start with you. Yeah, I think they're really likely to get it because there's a ton of late round receivers. Again, if you look at my draft previews at denverfan.com, ton of late round receivers that can either have special teams ability in terms of being a returner, uh, but also as a receiver, I think it's very important to note that the Broncos just don't need a return guy, you know, like a Deontay Spencer or a Trinidad holiday. You need a receiver that also can return because when you put any sort of package in for a Deontay Spencer defenses, aren't scared of that. They know that. So a Taekwon Thornton, a player that they brought in uh, for one of the top 30 visits. He's a Baylor kid with 4-2 speed. He's a blazer. So look for them to take a receiver that can also be a return man, not just a return specialist. I'm going to put on my pessimist hat here, Rachel, and say I don't think they're going to find one because it feels like every year after the draft, it's, oh, Isaiah McKenzie, they got their guy. And, yeah, in Buffalo he's turned into a good player, but he didn't hear. Every year we get told some somebody's going to be the return guy. 
and it never pans out, partially because their special teams have been so bad. I'm in the D-back school of special teams, right? Unless you have Devin Hester, who can go change games, returning kicks and returning punts, just take a knee on kickoffs and fair catch on the punt and let Russell Wilson go do his thing. I think special teams for this for this team, it's been way more negatives than positives. Just, you know, make it as simple as possible. Don't overthink it. Put somebody back there that's got sure hands and uh, live to fight another day. All right. Okay. Both sides of the spectrum there. Uh, he also talked, George Payton talked about getting jumpy when it comes to having to wait to 64 to pick. How jumpy are you both going to get on draft day about the possibility of moving up? I know he said he wouldn't move up most likely into the first, but how jumpy will you still both get? I'll always be jumpy. <laughs> it's the draft. I'm always on edge because it's like, I know the first round may not mean as much. And James, you got to let me know if you still want my first round mock draft or you want me to mock all nine picks for the Broncos. Cause I'm really fascinated by those nine picks, honestly. So jumpy. Yes. But I'll be that from the number one pick who we're not sure who it is yet, but either way, like, yeah, I'm, I'm jumpy the entire time. I'm on edge. Yeah. I don't think I don't think Thursday night I'll be that jumpy. I'll be kind of on edge. It'll be kind of like, okay, let's see if you know, they do something crazy and move up. I don't think they can move that far up, but you kind of got to be on call. But, man, when Friday starts and that second round starts, then it's jumpy time because I think they'll be, uh, they'll, they'll be looking to make some moves to get up there, get a pick. I will be surprised, Cecil, if they sit at 64 and just wait for it to come to them. I'm not saying they're going to move up to, you know, 35 or whatever they did last year for Javante Williams, because that's a big leap too. But they'll do something, partially just because you're going to get antsy sitting there for the entire first round, an entire night on Thursday, and then the entire second round to the last pick. I think they'll do something. I think they'll be jumpy. I'll be jumpy. We will all be jumpy by Friday, that's for sure. Well, and they're going to see teams in their own division. I talked about it on Nick and Cecil a couple of nights ago when I wasn't complaining about the Nuggets. Oh, my God. Anyway, like the Chiefs <laughs> want a pass rusher. The Chiefs are going to move up probably for Jermaine Johnson from the intel that I get and that I got a while ago. So it's not just April lies. So when you see teams within your own division go strengthen their pass rush, AFC is full of pass rushers. This division is so brutal. You're George Payton. You're going to get jumpy because you see a tackle falling like now all of a sudden tackle leapfrogs any sort of need because the Chiefs got better rushing the passer when they move up. But they're two, you know, first round picks they are going to move up. Pressure there. So it's jumpy for sure, because it's like when your neighbor gets a new car, like you don't need a new car, but then your neighbor gets a new car. and You're like, well, maybe I should get a new car. Like, I think that's how jumpy George Payton's going to be. Yeah, he's going to be trying to keep up with the Joneses, right? That's what's going to happen. I was going to say, that's exactly how my boyfriend is right now. I just got a new phone, and he's like, well, maybe I need a new phone now, right? Uh It's always like that. But George Payton also talked about how they only have four picks in next year's draft, and they would like to get more picks. So how likely is it that we will be seeing some movement and maybe even down to kind of help next year's draft? Oh, 100%. I'm with James. They're not picking a 64. It's going to be 50 you know, 59, whatever, like the 64, if they stay at 64, I'll be shocked 100%. And then gathering more picks for next year. That's also a a next year problem. It's also something they could take care of by trading away a player and getting more picks. Like there's multiple ways to do that. So I don't know necessarily how they'll, you know, position themselves this year with next year. 
Although those, you know, late rounders, they could swap and get another late rounder, what have you. But I think this team will be very active of the nine picks. I, I say they pick probably at least six of them, if not more. Um, and they need to, uh, again, to really go for it, to build that proper depth, to get the proper speed that they need. There's upgrades out there. This is the class to do it. And the Broncos are ready. I don't know that they're going to be that worried about next year's draft. Would you like to have more than four picks? Of course. But anybody you draft in 2023, especially since they don't have a first rounder, you're looking at saying, all right, when are they going to contribute? How far down the road, you know, are you in the Russell Wilson era before those guys start panning out? I think this is a team that has a a few holes now. You try to plug them with premium picks this year. And then after you get through season one with Russell Wilson – I think it becomes a free agency type of a situation. It's like it was with Peyton Manning. Of you go load up in year two of free agency. That's when they got DeMarcus Ware and Aqib Tlaib and T.J. Ward and Darian Stewart and that whole crew. So I think this team has gotten beyond, hey, let's uh, draft for the future. I think the future is now. So I think the fact that they have four picks next year should be the furthest thing from their mind this year. I, it's Again, I'm going to keep saying this about the Nuggets, about the Broncos. I'm Apollo Creed in Rocky Three. There is no tomorrow. It's all about today. I was going to say, my goodness, I'm so excited. I can't believe that we are a week away. Like, I cannot believe we are so close to draft night when the Broncos will pick. It's so much fun. So much good stuff to come here on Coffee Break, too. So make sure you tune in all next week, everyone. Cecil and I will actually be doing a mock draft together, so it'll be a lot of fun. James, Cecil, thank you so much for visiting, hanging out as we talked pre-draft Broncos discussion. Cecil, thanks for doing it for your car. Appreciate it. And thank you to everyone that watched as well. We appreciate you all hanging out with us. Jay Williams, again, huge thank you to him to Talking Nuggets. And we'll see everybody on Monday. Bye, everyone.